With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. One. Fragments of Silicon recommends treating Breath of the Wild with an aggressive regime of breath mints. Welcome to um, a very special edition of Fragments of Silicon. Um, yeah, we're broadcasting live. Um, for those who might be tuning in for the live version, um, we're broadcasting on a very odd day and time. It's currently a little afternoon um, on a Thursday, and that's mainly due to some scheduling conflicts. Um, but yes, we are doing a European interview uh, this week. Um, and joining us is, uh, you'll forgive me if I mispronounce this, um, uh, Yasin uh, Salmi. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you for having me. Uh, no problem. No problem. Um, right. So, um, how we like to get started is, um, getting to know, uh, the person behind the, uh, company or the game or what have you. And we like to we like to start by learning how you got interested in video games in the first place. Uh, so yeah, I grew up in in the U.S. actually on the East Coast, and uh, my mom bought me an Atari seventy two hundred, I think when I was six. Wow. I played that first for a while. I really loved Joust, and then I I uh, pivoted into Nintendo. Uh, so I, I did all, all the Mario's and then the Super Nintendo is the one that really got its hooks deep in me, like uh, Super Mario World and A Link to the Past. Uh, those are the games that made me want to figure out how to be a game developer later on in life. Uh, I gotta admit, I think you're the first guest we've had who got into gaming via the 7800. Yeah, 78, 72, I can't remember exactly. It was like a weird late model, because uh, the 2600 was the original one, right? It, it was the 2600, then the 5200, then the 7800. Yeah. I, I think it was really in like the, 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 the last days of Atari. Yeah. Yeah, the 7800 actually came out like post uh, NES. It was something that was supposed to be launched in 1984, but uh, video game crash happened and you know it got shelved. And then you know the Nintendo Entertainment System got super popular, and Atari was like, "Oh hey, we got this thing lying around. Let's release it and see if we can't make some money." <laughs> yeah. 
it, it, you know, it, it was pretty unsuccessful from what I understand. Anyway, um, yeah. so um, okay. conti- continuing onwards, um, how did you get in? Uh, how did you end up achieving, um, you know, the goal of designing video games? Did you go to college for it? Um, did you uh, like start programming in high school? Uh, I, I, I did a bit of programming in high school, like on like these TI, uh, those Texas Instrument calculators, like the TI-82 and so. Uh, I think I saw those. Yeah, those are amazing. Like, but they still it, sell them. Yeah. yeah. And some people online came up with some really amazing games, like for what those calculators were capable of at the time. Yeah. But um, I, I studied. I went to to Toronto to study computer science, and then uh, at that point, I was just looking for a normal job afterwards, and like. The games industry just felt like a dream that I wouldn't be able to reach. So I, I did send out a bunch of applications after school, but never really got anywhere. And then, so this was like post, uh, you know, dot-com crash, post 9-11. It was, I was back in D.C. And it was a bit difficult to find a job. And I saw this this master's program in the U.K. for games programming. Uh, and there were only like a couple at the time. So I applied because, you know, maybe I won't find a job in the next six months. And... Yeah, ended up going there. That was a great program, a one-year program, where what it really did is help me build out all my, like, uh, like demos, like my portfolio. And after I graduated, I landed a job at uh, Evolution Studios, which um, no longer exists. They were eventually bought by Sony. They did the MotorStorm series, oh. if you recall that. I do. Yeah. Uh, that's how I got my break, basically. That that program really helped me get the experience I needed and like, like more practical demos that I could show to a potential employer. Was that the first motor storm? Yeah, yeah. So I worked on the first motor storm, the um, the physics and character. So like the uh, physics and animation programming. So all the character stuff, the rag dolls, the flying off the bikes, and things like that. I'm like, and um, how did uh, AAA d- uh, development compare in those days? Um, to 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 today's AAA development? Yeah, well, to um, what you do now in indie gaming. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you're in AAA, you're like a much smaller cog in a big machine. Mm-hmm. So, I I was lucky to work on something that was like mine, so to speak, but. Like the overall impact you have on a game is still quite small. So it's great working in a bigger team because you can learn a lot, but you feel a lot less ownership of the project. Whereas um, when you're an indie developer, it's it's all on you, which is a lot of pressure, but it's also, it's your project. And it's uh, much easier to push yourself to get to a higher quality when it's it's your creativity and it's your output. Whereas when you're being, you know, pushed to work long hours on a AAA game, it's, at least for me, it was quickly demotivating. Like making a really, like making a Sony game, a PlayStation game was something I'm really proud of. Uh, but to like uh, it loses its luster pretty quickly when you have to work stupid hours. Uh, 
and evolution to be fair was actually reasonably sensible by that standard uh, I, I also did a stint at ea for about seven months uh yeah that was that was more intense right um uh what part of ea and what what did you work on i worked on uh burnout revenge the, down at criterion games so in the south of england mm. uh so that was the fourth iteration in that series. And it was an amazing game, but like, uh, it was a, a very tough, challenging conditions. Um, like, in, in, I, I'm assuming you're talking about in terms of the crunch. Yeah, exactly, the crunch. So you end up working with a lot of young, well, mix of people, like all very talented, all really good people, but you just get, uh, at the time, you just got, they just burned through, you know, young graduates, which is what I was like. People endlessly wanted to come into the games industry, so it was. People got burnt out. They left, and then a new, junior and fresh faces come in, and, uh, and they get ground through the machine. This uh, is the first time I've heard about this. Uh, you know, not just like within the gaming industry, the tech industry is pretty notorious for its crunch time. Yeah. So I mean, the studies are pretty. The studies are pretty clear. Like, the, the, you can crunch for a week or two and get like a bit of higher productivity, and then after that, like, your productivity starts to drop back below. So I, I don't believe in extended crunch. I don't think you should practice it. Like, I think there are moments where you got to push a little bit to hit certain deadlines, but I, I don't. I don't think it's something you should sustain for three, four, five months. At a time, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's practical. Right. Uh, Certainly uh, not healthy. No, not at all. Uh, but like I was young and it, it was intense. So you're in it together with other people. So like I had an amazing time at EA. It's just like your work and your social life just blend together, and at the end of it, you're you're quite burnt out. So moving on uh, from that was was okay for me. Well, um, where did you move on to after? Um... So, so I went back to Evolution Studios, and that's when I worked on War Still. <laughs> I, I was at Evo for for six six months, and some a bunch of graduate friends of mine were all at EA, and they're like, "Yeah, come down here. There's some cool projects." And uh, so I, I did, and uh, it was an experience. And then I went back, you know, hat in hand, and asked the Evolution CEO to take me back, and and he did. And that's when I got to work on. Sort of animation and physics stuff, so that was much more interesting. Because prior to that, I was just working on, uh, you know, I was the most junior guy, so you're lowest in the pecking order. I was just working on, I don't know, save games and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I mean, you got to start somewhere, but it was not what I expected when I moved down to uh, EA. I gotta imagine a lot of people's first encounter in the industry is, you know, not what they expected. Yeah, I I remember doing that one year program. It was when uh, I don't know if you guys heard of the EA spouse thing. Uh, yeah, I'm like uh, I certainly heard about it, and yeah, so I, in that... fact, I know somebody who was working at EA at the time, like in the same office, not 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 the same, uh, or at least a floor above it or something like that. Uh, they were kind of close to it, yeah. but not that close. What? Like I, I was reading that like a couple months before graduation, and it was 
extremely depressing. Like you sort of like, well, I really hope that's not the reality when I joined the workforce, but it turned out it can be like that in some places. I mean, it is the reality in a lot of places and not just in the AAA sphere either. Yeah. I've, I've certainly heard from the Indies set about, you know, it's a, it's a lot more self-imposed, but you know, the crunch still happens with the small games too. Yeah. 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 So what? That's something we've tried really hard to avoid. Um, uh, so, you know, we're a small team and uh, Alyssa's was our first game and we were sort of, I've done other, an, I've done another indie venture before. This is my second go at it. And this time, like I try to do it in a more sustainable fashion. So we, we do contract work to pay the bills because we don't count on the first game to just magically take off and uh, and you know life become rosy so uh we tried we still have deadlines but we try to be realistic about it and uh, we don't avoid shifting deadlines if we need to right like it's it's, it's about creating a sustainable business so uh i want to keep doing this for the next 20 years if i can so uh, it, it's important to me that me and my colleague don't burn out so I guess it's a bit of luxury because we take extra work, uh, but we, if we have to push a deadline back, we just do it. No. That makes it, sense. And, you know, once again, it's not a unique tale on the indie set, but we've met others who, you know, do the contract work because, you know, bills have to be paid or whatever. Now, uh, um, I, I suppose the question is how did you? Or what prompted you to first get, get into the indie game? Uh, I went to uh, GDC for the first time in like 2007, I think. Um, and that year, I didn't really know much about the indie scene. I just wanted to go and check check out that whole conference. And uh, I went to the indie summit, and it was fascinating. And I met some friends from university, like a friend who was working, who did the game uh, Everyday Shooter, uh, and I just became fascinated by the whole thing and and seeing others uh, create interesting experiences and become successful at it. So, sort of, again, I got a little bit of the wrong impression about the indie scene. You just end up talking to people or seeing the people who are successful, and you don't see one, you don't see all the people who are not successful, and the other is you don't see uh, all the hard work that goes uh, into a project before it can become a success or before it can even have a chance at becoming a success. But that was my first exposure to it, and I sort of like, well, you know, I would love to do that. Like, I have ideas that I would like to realize, and uh, while I have a decent job, I don't know if I'll ever get to work on my own projects internally. So uh, it was, I guess, it's a bit selfish, but I wanted to try out my own ideas. And it's a bit arrogant because I thought I would just be naturally successful at it. Like, just make a good game and everything else will fall into place. Uh, it's an idea that had a lot more um, merit to it back in, say, 2007, um, when the indie scene was a lot smaller. Yeah. You know, because that's certainly... Uh, it's been a big topic on our program recently, just how big things have gotten and just how 
how much, how many games come out these days, and you know, uh, how do you stand out from the crowd? Yeah, it's it's extremely difficult um, because there's not it's not just there's so many games, there's so many good games out there uh, coming out all the time. It used to be that if you got a Steam slot, then it was like almost an automatic you know path to success. And now there's like 30, 35 games coming out every day on Steam. Uh, like it's, it's incredibly hard to stand out. And uh, <laughs> um, it's quite challenging. And I, I don't know where it's going to go the next few years. Um, I'm like, you know, I've heard prognostications. You know, um, if you've ever heard of the indie apocalypse. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm like, I don't know if that's what's going to happen or, you know, because, you know, part of the, you know, part of what's going on right now is it's never been easier to make a game than before. I know it's not actually, you know, easy to make a game. You know, we, we certainly get that week after week after week. But, you know, with all of the tools and all of the engines out there, it's a lot easier than it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. The entry to barrier has completely fallen, which is not a bad thing, you know? Like, uh, no. everybody should, you know. No, but it's more, this is kind of one of the unintended side effects of that ease of use. You know, you get a lot more games. Yep. Mm. And I think the market is not growing at the same rate as the number of developers or number of games coming out. I'm not. I. It's like I honestly don't know how to quantify the market because it's more markets. Yeah. You know, it's like you really can't say it's all the same. Like you know, Steam is different than say iOS, and you know that's different from the com console markets and so on and so forth. You know and. Uh, like there's like uh, you know no matter what there's probably going to be a, a lot of mobile games just released like th th there always have been. Now, you know, speaking of which, um, your game Ellipses, um, it released on iOS first, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, what was it like releasing a premium app in like the year of 2016? Uh, so, I mean, we kind of got lucky. So, um, I, I read, I read a lot about other people's experiences and I, we worked really hard to, to build like a, a very polished experience that would look good on iOS. Um, so the idea was to go as much as possible to try to get featured by Apple. Uh, that was our strategy like that. Uh, of course, we reached out to press and all these stuff, but as a, as like a newcomer to the scene, uh, um, I think the only as a premium game, one of the well, the best way to stand out is to get featured. Uh, so we worked hard to get noticed by Apple, and uh, luckily we did get a feature, um, not like on the main front page, but like in like in the best new games, we were like in the fifth position, so just slightly off screen. Uh, you know, you have to scroll a little bit to the right. 
but this like made a huge difference because like in that week probably another thousand or two thousand other games came out and only you know 10 15 get selected uh, so if that hadn't happened our, our game would not have gotten noticed like we, yeah we, we got a, a nice review in touch arcade and we got a couple of smaller reviews on some other sites but uh, without that feature and and one feature in like a big German newspaper, uh, I don't think uh, we would have moved any unit. <laughs> uh, so it's still a bit of a crapshoot, you know. You, you got to like create a really polished game, and then you hope you get lucky. Yeah. Well, it's like um, from what we've uh, talked to, you know, mobile developers over the years, like getting highlighted by Apple is like pretty much the surest bet um, you can get in I, in the iOS field. You know, yeah. You know, because it's Apple saying, buy this game. Yeah. Um, and that means making a game that is going to stand out nicely on, uh, on Apple's platform. And I think luckily for indie developers, um, Apple really has a keen eye and an appreciation for games that are somewhat different but look visually good. You know, they're willing to showcase games that might not be necessarily mainstream. Uh, I, I think for premium games, like you have a much better shot on iOS than on Android. Like, uh, Android is its own kind of minefield because. Android is a lot more decentralized. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I suppose, you know, there's more chances um, for getting highlighted because there's at least two major stores, Amazon and uh, the Google Play Store. But, um, like, from what I've read, from what I heard, like, um, it's a lot harder for premium apps to do well on uh, Android. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we spend a lot of time thinking about our, our, our business model. And Alyssa is not a game that you're going to replay forever. Like, uh, you're going to go through the, the main set of levels and, you know, if you're really hooked into the game, then you're going to try to like five star them. But it's not, so, we didn't manage to develop an infinite mode. We, we tried, but we didn't, it wasn't fun. So we didn't put it in. So it's not a game that it's a single player, almost like a narrative experience. You're going to play through it for X amount of hours, and then you're probably not going to play that much more. Uh, so going for like free to play or something like that just didn't fit. Um, although we tried, we tried, we spent quite a bit of time trying to make it fit just because it felt like, you know, there'd be more potential upside if we got featured and we were free to play. But so that's, in the end, that's why we went. We we stuck with the premium model or the yeah the premium model. Uh, yeah, having played and reviewed the game, it it certainly made sense to um, go with a premium model. Um, yeah. Uh, granted, you know we 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 reviewed the Steam version, so. Yeah. Uh, I suppose the question of Ekans is, um, how much content was added for? Um, the Steam version, because you kind of build it as the definitive version of said game. Yeah. Uh, so there's, I think, 157 or 158 levels now. And um, 
so for the for the PC version, I believe we added 20 more levels, or we added 15 levels and probably redid another 15 levels to make them unique to the PC version. So playing around a bit more with the scale, like zooming in and out, uh, adding some experiments with like wind effects pushing you around or slippery surfaces. Uh, and one of the, I mean, we did Steam integration, so achievements, trading cards, all that stuff. But the, the, the other big thing we did was like a full level editor um, that we've continued to improve. So that's, that's something we always wanted to do, but just never had the time to. And uh, for Steam, it felt like the right thing to do, like in order to hopefully grow community and extend the life of the game by, uh, you know, en engaging with players and seeing what else could, people can come up with. Uh, so we spent quite a bit of time working on that side of things. Well, um, does it have Steam Workshop support? Yep. Yep. So, um, what has the community um, created so far? Uh, yeah, a few levels. Some some really interesting experiments. Some pretty hardcore levels. Uh, it's. We are still continuing to improve the editor based on feedback, and we want to flesh out the... So we have this, this section of the game, which is like the online world, where you can bring in other players' game uh, levels. And we put in a basic, randomly generated set of paths, but we want, we want to, in the next update, to do like... People can already do like collections, but they can't lay them out in the map, and we want to uh, extend that further. So, like you, you build a set of ten levels, and players experience that as a sequence. So you can take a concept and explore it a bit deeper. Um, so right now, like in terms of levels, are there? There's a lot of different types of experiments. Uh, so the, the the reaction has been mixed. It's 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 interesting which players design levels and which don't. It's it's a much smaller subset. Uh, but we're going to run some contests and some experiments, and we'd like to like feature and highlight, you know, some of the best levels in an update. In a, yeah, in in free updates. I don't want to do more content packs. I, I just if we add more levels, it'll be some from us and some from the community. Uh, just yeah, to give more levels for people to play. Right, and um. Is this stuff that could be backported to the mobile versions, or is it going to be like forever exclusive to the PC version? Uh, it's. I don't know if we're going to bring the level editor to the to the mobile versions. I, I I don't know if it's worth the effort. I think if we have a couple really nice levels, then we'll we'll um, we'll bring them to the mobile versions if we find the time. Uh, <laughs> but it's. There's also a bunch of bug fixes that uh, we've done on the PC version that we'd like to have on mobile as well. Um, but in general, like the PC version right now is our main version. And we really try to make it feel more definitive. Uh, and it's also a little bit easier to update on Steam. We can just push out some updates quite easily. I mean, it's, it's easy to update on iOS and Android too, but it's it's easier to update on Steam. And um, let me see. Uh, have you given any consideration to bring ellipses to the consoles? Um, 
Yes. Uh, and I don't know if it's the right fit. So uh, we did like an Apple TV version. And, and also for the PC version, we added gamepad support. And so we, we spent actually quite a bit of time trying to get the feel of the gamepad right. But it's, it's not my favorite input method for this game. Uh, like we were really like there's ellipsis has it has inspirations from geometry wars and it's a game i love playing on the gamepad you know on the console uh and i was trying to replicate that feel but ellipsis has more sometimes you need a lot more precision sometimes you have like stop and go movements whereas like in geometry wars you're just you tend to constantly move um and i don't think it lends itself as well to the gamepad system so Unless a publisher was going to throw money at us for it, I don't know if it makes sense to do it. Duly noted. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's something that could happen. Like, you know. Like, it, it's possible. But I, I, I suppose we should talk about the game itself now. Uh, you know, like, how did you come up with the idea for this avoid em up? Right. So, uh, so me and my colleague, we like to do occasional game jams where we just spend a day prototyping random ideas. And on that day, we decided to explore how you could do more direct touch input on touch devices. Because a lot of games uh, either use tap as functionality or swipe. And we want to understand why people were not directly controlling things on their on their, on their iPads or on their tablets. and. Um, so one, it turned out to be quite fun. Um, the other problem, the, the, the main problem is that your hand tends to hide the screen uh, or obstruct your view. So we really like that, that feeling of avoiding things. And we decided, yeah, let's explore it as deeply as we can. Uh, so we focused on making levels that were bite-sized and large enough that the hand obstruction could be minimized, you know? Uh, so we can't make the player's hand invisible. We just did as best as we could to work around it. Uh, and it felt like it was a reasonable compromise. Like, okay, this is why people don't do direct touch because your hands are in a way, but it can still be fun. Uh, so that's how it came about. And that's why what came out on iOS first is because it was first focus on touch. When, when we consider doing the PC version, uh, we were not sure if it would if it would be fun with a mouse. Um, we thought about like putting like a little input lag on the mouse to make it not too easy, but it turned out like direct control of the mouse is is actually quite fun, and then you also have more flexibility in terms of the levels you can design. Uh, so that's yeah, why it works we really good with the mouse, not so much with the uh, keypad type thing. So yeah, right. It's and that's unfortunate, but. I, we put that support in because it felt like the right thing to do, but I definitely prefer it more with the mouse as well. And um, what was the uh, most tricky part about like emulating touch with like a mouse? Uh, well, the the the, the paradigms don't map, don't like map onto each other one to one, so like. Your finger is either on the screen or it's off, and when it's off, there's no like curse or anything like that. And with the mouse, you're you got to activate it. Okay, so we we 
you you're activating then like you got to deactivate it okay fine uh but you know does the cursor always or does the sphere always follow your mouse all the time um like we ran into a lot of li weird little edge cases with that and uh it became tricky to say like for example like we wanted to replace the mouse cursor and make it more in game so you're just this little dot even when you're not in game uh there were like big discussions internally on whether it was appropriate to like teleport the mouse pointer from one place to another so like when you exit the level your mouse pointer is on the center of the level icon uh whether or not it was there when you were still in the level uh like I know it sounds pedantic, but these little issues like took us a long time to to get right. Or and uh, so yeah, they caused a lot of tension actually. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was a weird thing to focus on, but I really wanted the mouse input to feel like like it was native, like it was designed for the mouse. Like I think you succeeded for the most part. I mean. I think I noted in our review that you know using the mouse was a bit on the twitchy side, but it, you know, for uh, yeah, like like this is one of the great unseen like um, trick tricky parts of video game development adapting a game to different control styles. I, you know, I, I, I've talked about this before. It, it's why I don't like playing classic conventional games on mobile uh, devices because virtual d-pads are pretty terrible yeah you know uh, uh, you know so it's not just a case of like mobile you know being restrictive because it's a much simpler device it's you know it, like you know mega man wasn't made for a touch screen yeah and trying to crowbar that in just makes it terrible hey. I absolutely agree. It's, it's 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 why Nintendo did took so long to make a Super Mario game, and it's not like any other Super Mario game in terms of control. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, you need that that you need to feel the the D pad, like you need to feel it on your thumb, so that you don't have to look at it or you know if your fingers slid away from it. That it, you want your control. <laughs> your controls are the primary way you're interacting with a game, so they have to be as tight as possible. Yeah. Right? And and believe it or not, this is an issue that goes back to like the primordia of video games, like all the way back to say um, Pong and Breakout, because those were games that um, played best with radial controls. That's why mm -hmm. the Atari Twenty Six Hundred came with um, paddles. Mm -hmm. And you know, trying to play that stuff, and I remember like playing that, like like some Pong or Breakout clone or something like that with a D-pad, and it was pretty terrible. Yeah. So, you know, being able to nail that uh, as well as you did is uh, commendable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, we, we considered like smoothing the, the mouse input so that it would feel a little bit smoother. And then, but that introduces a little bit of latency. And, uh, and then it, some people, some, some of our playtesters got, got frustrated by that. It was like, well, I don't have as direct control as I should have. Uh, and we have an issue on Linux where, like, the input is lagging by a few, like, uh, I think 100 or 150 milliseconds on some setups. And that's just down to the, a bug in Unity that we are waiting for a fix on, or waiting on for a fix, or however you say that. Uh, and 
things like that really annoy players who play test the game. So it's uh, it, it it's challenging to to uh, meet everybody's expectations. Let's say. Uh, especially when uh, like Linux development, um, you know, as I understand it, is its own bag of tricks. Yep, yep, yeah. And we wanted to support Linux because I, I like Linux. I um, I don't use it day to day anymore, but like it's just it feels like the right thing to do to support Linux. Um, but uh, we ran into some issues there, and, and, and there's only so many things we can control when we're working with a, an engine. Uh, so we're waiting on that bug fix, <laughs> and as soon as we get it, we'll push it out to people. Um, so how has the game fared on uh, Steam so far? Uh, okay, I would say. Uh, not amazing. Not, yeah, not amazing. Like it, but it, it's done okay. So. Uh, it's it's like we discussed at the beginning of the right. uh, of the call. Like the, the the Steam environment has changed quite a bit, and we struggled to uh, because the game already came out on other platforms. I think we struggled to get journalists' attention, and uh, I'm also not 100 sure if we priced it correctly. But when you're out on Steam, you can experiment with these things. So we're going to continue to update the game, and we're going to play around with the price and see uh, what helps and uh, I'm like yeah probably would uh, probably a factor working against you unfortunately is the fact that it is a port from a mobile game as well yeah believe and, me it, uh, those don't get a lot of respect because um, most of the time they're pretty awful yeah and so we worked really hard to try to make it not feel like a mobile port. So unfortunately, I think there's still some like UI elements that make it feel mobile-y, but we really tried to make it feel like a native game, like something that we respected. So with you know the mouse input, the gamepad support is there like if you want it, but also that it's not just something we threw together over a weekend. We spent a few months. Uh, Improving it, polishing it, adding new content, uh, improving the art style as well. Like it's, it looks so much better on, on uh, PC. I know it's like a, an abstract and a bit like sort of, uh, retro style game, but the the effects are much nicer on PC than on um, on mobile. Uh, so we try to be respectful to the PC player, but. I don't know. It's it's hard. It's you don't know why people don't buy your game necessarily. Like people who have bought the game and played it tend to uh, review it positively. Uh, but yeah, there's only so much we can do to avoid that comparison. Indeed. And um, right. So I suppose we should talk a bit about what you got coming up in development that isn't um, more work on ellipses. At least yes. I can say. Well, so we are very interested in VR. Mm -hmm. uh, so we are all in in VR, basically. Uh, and we have a new project where that we've been prototyping now and uh, showing a bit at GDC to some stakeholders, let's say. Uh, and it's, it's a game where you're like a giant in a small town. Uh, 
except you can move around and you can destroy things and you can hunt down other people and uh, it's, it's it's quite fun for us to work on this because it's like first is VR which is fascinating like there's all sorts of design problems to solve uh, but also it's you know you're you're prototyping your you're you're trying out new gameplay features. You're uh, it's it's fun already. So like just you, so you drag yourself around using your your the touch controllers. Uh, so you're like you're you're a massive gorilla basically, and the idea is you pull the world around. Uh, and that aspect of it is feels good and is quite fun. And then like the whole town is destructible. So it's just like it's just chaos. It's a bit like. Um, did you ever play Rampage back in the day? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yes, I do. So that, that's an inspiration. Like Rampage, there's a lot of destruction, but it's also a bit comical. Uh, and something we're experimenting with as well is making it like an asymmetric multiplayer aspect. So there's one VR player and there's a bunch of non-VR players controlling smaller characters in the scene. And then you're playing like, uh, some some form of hide and seek or cat and mouse games where uh, the VR player has to find a few items and the other the non VR players are like driving cars around the scene and hiding things in a garage and then controlling tanks and shooting at the VR player or taking over planes and like doing a bombing run and then the VR player can grab a plane out of the air and then throw it into a building uh, things like that uh, so that that's what we're working on right now. And right. I don't know when. Yeah, so is that for like a um, particular headset, or is that going to be a universal app? Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, that depends on certain things we have to work out with different people over the next few months. Uh, okay. We're currently developing it on Oculus because that's the hardware that we have here. Uh, but we are considering multiple platforms. I ideally, I'd like to bring it to every platform, but um, right. this will be a little bit bigger game. Um, we're just two programmers, and we're it's 3D stuff. We're definitely going to need some art support. Uh, so I'm looking to you know raise a bit of funding to uh, bring this game to completion. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we're still figuring that part out. Uh, understandable. Like, I mean, I, I'm really not sure how the VR market's doing right now. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's small, but it's growing slowly, and there's there are opportunities there. So it, there are also funding opportunities. Like the the big platform holders are still funding games. Yeah, that, yeah that's. That's how I understand it. Like you know, like VR has kind of moved past its novelty phase, and you know, like all the all the people who wanted to buy the um, kit have pretty much done it. But um, you know, like the 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 big uh, players still need their VR content, so they're funding games. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, uh, you know, wish you luck in that field, because. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. you know, the, one of the problems with VR is there's there's a dearth of killer apps. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, I'm not sure if your 
your game would be the game to do that. But it certainly sounds like it's making some interesting uses of VR um, rather than uh, some of the other stuff that's been out there. You know, like, like any of those VR experiences come to mind. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of those quote-unquote experiences and uh, none of those killer app not none of them but they're they're few and far between but i think that's i think that's going to change over time and it's it's not clear what the killer apps will be like one i one thing we would like to focus on is developing a community around our games so like not just releasing a game and then it's done but like uh almost a game as a service like you release it earlier than you would and then you keep improving it you keep adding content to it you keep you have game modes that can be replayed over and over again and still getting a new experience. Like players are crafting their own stories. And that, for me, that's my long-term goal to reach stability or a sustainable business as an indie developer. Like I, I, there's only so many games we can output at the same time. And uh, I think focusing on being like a hit driven studio is not necessarily going to be the most likely path to success for us. Mm. Like, I, I want to make good games, and it'd be great if one of them becomes a hit, but, like, I want to develop a community that, where the game's success is more organic, let's say. That makes that's, sense. That, yeah. That's sort of my, my approach, my current approach to try to address the, you know, this indie apocalypse and this the massive glut of games that they're on. <laughs> right. Right. So um, uh, I'll see if my colleagues here have any questions for you. Um, all mine have been answered. <laughs> okay. I really liked your reviews, by the way. Oh, thank you. You guys picked up on a lot of subtle things, and uh, that that means a lot to us because we we. We put in a lot of little polish that we hope some people pick up on. Well, uh, it's always nice when people, you know, actually listen to our reviews. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I, I send the feedback to them, but, you know, often I don't use, I don't get people you know, commenting on them, you know, even though they want the, the review link. <laughs> I, I still have yet to figure this out. But yeah, I think people have, like, limited time i guess but like uh, i i try to read and watch or listen to everything that's written about our game because i'm it's sort of also an ego thing but like i'm curious to hear other people's perception especially people who don't have who are not emotionally linked to me <laughs> you know they're hopefully just being honest with their feedback uh, fair point i mean you know for us ellipsis was just one of two games we reviewed that week yeah Anyway, um, yeah, so if there are no more questions here, I think that'll about do it. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, so, um, Yasin, um, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us on this uh, rather unconventional day. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, we wish, certainly wish you luck um, not only with um, the Ellipses updates, but also with your uh, VR game. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me for uh, this interview and as well for the review of the game. I really appreciate it. Ah, no uh, problem. No problem. All right. Um...
So, yeah, that'll about do it for this installment of Fragments of Silicon. Um, be sure to tune in on Sunday where we have our usual reviews. Um, you know, as mentioned, um, um, we're doing two this week. Um, uh, I always forget the uh, full name of this game because it's so long. And it's a Street Fighter parody. But yeah, here Super we Blackjack Battle 2 Turbo Edition, The Card Warriors. Yes. Yeah. Like... And um, after that, we have the game Desync, the latest from Adult Swim Games. So, until such time, I wish you good gaming. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.